It's day 42 of my self-imposed quarantine, and I'm finally adjusting to the new routine. I get up, I make my bed, do some yoga, drink some coffee. There's always coffee. And these days, I have more time for reflection, to be grateful for all the things that are blessed in my life, my friends, my family, my health. And in this position, I find myself asking where I can be of greatest service. Today, organizations are considering strategies that account for a global pandemic that's forever changed everything. Many organizations, as a result, are at an inflection point, and their decisions now will determine whether they grow, evolve, or ultimately fail. The teams within those organizations must refocus their finite resources on the strategies, programs, and activities that drive their performance, and the leaders that lead those teams have to consider the broader economics of their culture and talent decisions. Here at Thinking Inside the Box podcast, we'll do our part. We'll bring together executives, entrepreneurs, and creatives who share similar values and solve common problems. And we'll complement that with a series of articles that tackle the most pressing issues facing business leaders in our new normal. How do some of the world's most talented leaders develop compelling business cases for funding and resources to fuel their vision? How do the most successful organizations leverage predictive analytics to mitigate non-compliance risk, retain key talent, and inform future capital investment decisions? What is the business rationale for diverse and inclusive workforces? We discuss these and go much deeper, providing tangible tactics, tools, and templates that we hope you can take away and use to transform your own workplace. To the listeners that know me, you'll appreciate that my biases for simplicity, practicality, and action are not going anywhere. They won't change. Over the next few weeks, you can expect to see evidence of that with announcements to follow. If you want to support our efforts, please take a moment to rate the podcast. And for access to full-length interviews, please check out bentohr.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until then, be safe. It's kind of like there was this monster dam we'd built. And we knew it was failing. We were patching it and putting it together. And it, it was pressure was building. And also, by the way, when that dam was built 80 years ago, it probably had some really negative impacts. And like you hear stories about lands where like we shouldn't have this dam, but we do now, but we can't get rid of it. We'll flood everything. But, if, but, but the truth is we're starting out this whole part of the country because, and the wildlife isn't living. Like, so, but we've forgotten about that because we've gotten used to the fact the dam's there. And we're also getting the water power from the dam and this and that. The dam broke, and I think to your point, there might be some little side streams that don't get it so bad, and some towns are gonna get flattened by this. It's awful, it's going to be heavy. It's going to be like the dam broke. Hey everyone, it's Matt here for another episode of Thinking Inside the Box, the show where each week we tackle the most complex issues related to work and culture. If you're interested in checking out our other content, you can find us at bentohr.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts by searching Thinking Inside the Box. In today's chat, we connect with Craig Foreman, lead people scientist and community engagement at CultureAmp. Craig's become a good friend over the years and... We originally met through another mutual friend, Jill Katz, 
who is part of her Assemble HR community, paired people from around North America to join a HR association. And in that time, Craig and I struck up a friendship, which ultimately led to a number of inspiring conversations. And when I thought about putting together a podcast, Craig was one of the first people that came to mind. When I reflect on conversations with Craig, I often come away with more questions than answers. And I mean that in the best way possible. He's an introspective guy, very purposeful, and he's driven to help other people. It's one of the many areas that we connect on over the next hour as we learn a bit more about Craig, his background, his experiences, uh, and how he blends technology, data, and community to create a more human-centric workplace. He's one of my favorite people to talk to, and I hope you enjoy our chat as much as I did. Without further ado, Craig Foreman. And I've been looking forward to talking to you, man, because I think about people that uh, I've had some great chats with over the last couple of years in particular on my own kind of personal transformation journey. And mm-hmm. I think about some of our chats and I just always look forward to when we, when we have a chance to kind of just spend five minutes even just to kind of like, Hey, like level set, like how, how are you doing right now in this craziness that we call life? Yeah. So you'll understand what I mean when I say that I feel strangely called into service. So any, any concerns that I had regarding fatigue or time, necessary time away, they've gone. Like it just, it's that, that just ended. Mm-hmm. I'm suddenly rejuvenated in all the ways I needed to be rejuvenated. And now I have a singular purpose forward. And I know that's bullshit by the way, but I, I'm operating in that bullshit and I'm happy with that decision because I say that because I know what I, I, it's an interesting space to be in because I had, I've had, had this chat a couple of times when the, when this COVID-19 thing really became like real for us. So like there had been some lingering chatter in the background and it was bantered back and forth on media, but then society really wasn't taking it all that seriously for a, a period of time. Mm-hmm. Like you, I try and stay informed. I think I was a bit ahead of the masses not by a matter of months, but by a matter of weeks. So I've been self-quarantining for about three and a half weeks now total. And I knew what was going to happen insofar as I knew that it was going to be something we've never experienced before. And it was going to test us in ways we've never been tested before. And that some things were going to really surprise us in a good way. And some things were going to not work. And that was challenging. And as somebody who has just spent 18 months going through a very intentional and very um, steep personal transformation journey, I can absolutely empathize with people right now who didn't think they were signed up for this. Then now all of just a sudden signed up for this and it's fatiguing and it takes a lot out of people and it's not an easy way to operate. And I, I also balance that with the knowledge that, there are people right now who are living with three or four generations in one house or who have very real financial concerns or very real health concerns. And I was talking with a friend of mine, uh, Matt Parsons from Benji. He, we characterized this period as a tragedy and a reset and spent a lot of time talking about what the reset would mean or could mean. But yeah, it's been an, it's been an interesting time. It's given me lots of time to reflect and I think where we left our conversation, Matt and I, you kind of just moments before we picked up was we both are leaving with a, a sobering awareness of what has happened and what is to come and an optimism about the impact that we can have in a positive way when this yeah. is all finished. Yeah. 
Wow. First of all, Thea, thanks for just jumping right in and sharing that and being so honest. There's a lot. There's a couple of things I want to, I want to talk about just to go backwards and then we'll work back into this because I think it's something I'm thinking a lot about too of what's going to happen. The first thing is in the beginning, you talked about, you spoke about this call to action and this deep sense of like purpose. And then you also said like, I know it's all bullshit and, and, and I'll agree with you to the sense of like, everything's all bullshit because everything's all our story. You know, if that's the story that's, that's up for you, that's what you're sensing right now, then it's completely real and completely bullshit. Like, and that goes to what I think we'll talk about is being able to hold these. That's what I think the human brain struggles with. We want to create black and white. Yes or no. It's safe. Which direction? And the truth is we live always have just now more than ever. It's, it's amplified is the, um, as Brene Brown talk about it, she talks about our struggle with like, I don't know if it's juxtaposition or contradicting kind of like, can there be good and bad in the world at the same time? Can there be awful and, and calling? Can there be, and I think the answer is yes. It's just, we struggle with that. It's very, it's very tricky. So I honor that. And, and I also want you to know that like, I'm so happy you said that because I'm feeling a very deep sense of the same thing. Like, I feel like everything I've done as much as I thought I was on my purpose and my path, which I have been, has led me to this moment. And now all of that was almost like the playground for this, like, which is a really deep sense of like, uh, oh, okay. Like it's time to step into that, like take action, go, you know, and that the world needs right now. The other thing, you know, I'm also sitting in a place where I'm really grateful. I am a home with people I care about. I'm in a comfortable home. I have a bit of space, not a ton, but I mean, like we can get out and take the dog for a walk. I'm not in a small apartment in New York City. So sitting with a ton of that gratitude and my work is busy. Like we opened, you said you're busier than ever. So am I, oh my gosh, what a blessing. And like, this goes back to what we spoke about before. And there's so much pain and hurt and awfulness that's here and still coming. Like we know it's predictable. We can see this with these waves and they're going to happen in different cities and different places. So just sitting with those two things, can they both be true? You know, and here goes to something bigger that comes up for me and I was talking about this before, so it still holds for me is this hour, this idea of power of privilege. I mean, before it was like, okay, I'm a white guy in this world. What does that mean? And my, in my own journey, it was like, you know, I just use that as an example of like privilege, but my own journey, what I came to realize is like, it's easy if you feel that you don't want to take it on or you reject it, you push away and, and inadvertently don't lean into like the privilege you have what you can do with it. Right. So, or I could say, okay, I get to get into rooms. I get to speak to people maybe that there are doors that open that I don't see. So what am I going to do with that opportunity? What am, how am I going to use it to promote these beliefs that we can be more belonging, more accepting that white guys can be more in touch or straight or men in general can be more in touch with their feelings or emotions. If I show up and do it, I can, I can have an impact is what I'm saying. And like versus saying, Oh, not me. No, I don't have privilege back away where I'm going with that. And where relevant to me now is that, you and I and other people that I talk to in this current situation, for whatever reason, have fallen on the side of, at the moment, of privilege. So you could, I think the brain and its struggle to feel okay with that might back away, or you could lean into it and say, wow, look what I've been given. So now my question to me and to others is, okay, so you have privilege. What are you going to do? You got lucky to fall into a place where you have some privilege. So you're going to like do nothing with it and just enjoy it? Or is there something you can do to help somebody that may, maybe not? Small. It doesn't have to be big. I know that right now, like community building has been a big focus um, in, my, in my world and my work. I'm leaning heavier into that because I think a lot of people want community more now than ever. They're feeling cut off. They're feeling detached. And it's something that I'm, I can give. So to your point, I've had a couple of days this week where it's like my mind is almost like dripping out of my head because I'm having the same conversation. I'm recruiting. We're talking to elite. And I'm like, okay, whatever. It's like, it's, it's, it's a day in the war zone. Like that was a tough day. You, you got, you got, it was long and you had the same conversation over and over. Like, just keep going, just keep going. Cause that's what people need right now. So 
when you spoke, all those things kind of came up for me around the situation. And I really, like I said, I resonated with you. And I think in some ways think we're in this place. And then the third thing you spoke about, which I think we should probably like this conversation could, could lean into is like, I think a lot about that also. What's next? What are the gifts in this? Where the reset piece, it's, un, it's unfortunate that we have to go through this pain. But I think that the other side of this is a reset, is an opportunity that we never would have had if we didn't get a chance to be forced to just stop. Like inertia was so strong that we were just moving in a, in, in a direction. And now here we are sitting around figuratively. I don't know. Like when we go back, what's it going to look like? Yeah. I'm, 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 <sighs> uh, it won't be the same. What do we want it or what, what do we want it to look like? I think that's a better question because I think that when, you, when I think of the term, I like, I love the term reset because to me it implies a degree of blank canvas. There is going to be some, some, rough outlines like you know we're not going to move into a lawless society when this fall said and done like we're gonna there'll be some pieces i think about a couple things and i've had a lot of time by myself because i've been in self-isolation so it's been an interesting blend of like personal work along with like running a business (laughs) and how those two things intertwine with one another when it's a purpose-driven business so on a business context i've been really intentional about clarifying what we do in three things. We've talked about our offer and our value and the depth and breadth of our experience uh, as we've been uh, entrepreneurs. And, I'm, and I think that's good. It's been a really interesting self-exploration exercise. And I think we are, like you, in a position of privilege in that we can help people. We can democratize access to solutions that otherwise would not be attainable for a large portion of organizations because they would normally source this work from the traditional consulting model that is not, does not work. doesn't work. Uh, I don't think anyway. I mean, a business model where you charge a client $400 an hour and pay the employee a hundred dollars an hour and pocket the difference because you pass the work through doesn't like that. It seems a lot more like a brokerage and a lot less like a consulting company. And when you're incentivized, when you're incentivized by time and materials, you're naturally incentivized to elongate the engagement. Yeah. Like economically speaking, right? Like it's in your best interest to have the engagement go as long as possible when you're billing on time and materials. I much prefer a model where you're building performance. So it's like, show us what you can do. And if you can deliver, you're rewarded for that. The market's not quite there yet, but as we move forward, I'm, I'm going to really start to introduce more of that thinking into the marketplace. Not as, as, a, as a method of demonstrating that a little can have a lot of an impact and that you can build business cases by reverse engineering your problems. So wait, so if I hear correctly, what you're saying is you think that this situation is, is going to impact how is how you or how you think the world's going to be thinking about working on time and materials versus working on like out, outcome base. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a collision of several musings. I would just say is I think the world has a lot more problems than they did three weeks ago. Yes. And I think the problems that they're going to have to solve for are as basic as operational continuity. Like they're going to have to solve for how do we operate a business if we're yo-yoing back and forth between the old, you know, pre-reset, post-reset, pre-reset, post-reset. Everything I'm hearing and reading doesn't lend me to believe that in eight weeks, this just goes away and never happens again. Mm-mm. Like we have to prepare for a scenario where something does happen again. I'm not saying it will, but I don't think businesses are going to operate like they did before. I think they're going to in, they're going to invest in their infrastructure to ensure operational continuity on a go forward. Yeah, they just will. And organizations like yours and like mine that were already set up for that 
we're much more adaptable and agile and we're working through this more seamlessly because we've already been set up that way. Other companies are going to be forced into that transition and that's going to create a whole bunch of problems inside of organizations and friction points, whether it's in a process context and a technological context and a change management context and an educational context. Like there's so many different areas. I'm thinking of putting my CHRO hat on. There's so many intersection areas that are going to have to be managed delicately or it's going to be so uncomfortable and it's going to kill your business. Like you can't just drag the company from where you are to the future, given the amount of change is expected post this reset. Yeah. I have so many, I have so many thoughts around this. I, I mean, and that's why, I mean, I know you do. That's why we're talking. I mean, this, I think about, I want to get to this in a second, but I just, I want to go back to your point, which is if I want to be in service to that problem and to those problems, the best thing I can do is be clear about what my solution is mm-hmm. and because that will help people connect them, connect their problems to my solutions more easily. And to go back to the first part of our conversation, our business model, as you know, is set up that we cover our overheads. I pay myself a nominal salary. Everything incrementally, I reinvest back into the society, whether it is in charitable donations, whether it is in employment opportunities, whether it is in an incubator, whether it's in in strategic investments. That's always been the strategy. The strategy has been to generate kind of an ecosystem around doing the right thing within organizations, but using the tools that traditionally would be the domain of more quantitative, if you will, functions like finance, like IT, like marketing, and turn HR really into a quote-unquote profit center for an organization and use it to fuel its own internal transformation in an infrastructure context, which I think can then be used more broadly as a, more as a cultural transformation. We can give people the tools to do their job so we can actually focus on the things that matter inside of organizations, not whether you're sitting in the chair at 415 or 445, which is what some companies now that are making billions of dollars spend way too much time thinking about. What I hope happens from all this, and then I'm going to pause and let you think is what I hope happens from all this is that we put in perspective what are actually problems. What we're going through right now is a significant problem. Whether Craig Foreman is sitting in his desk on Tuesday afternoon at 2.37 p.m., is not a problem. It's not. We just have to be okay that there was a, there was a world before and there will be a world after. It was a problem six weeks ago. A real problem because the structure designed it in a way that that was an issue and that productivity meant you were at your desk and real, not real, whatever. It was built into the system. I mean, you know, when you were speaking before, Matt, what came up for me, and this has hit me a couple of times, I have this vision. It's kind of like there was this monster dam we'd built. And we knew it was failing. We were patching it and putting it together. And it it was pressure was building. And also, by the way, when that dam was built 80 years ago, it probably had some really negative impacts. And like you hear stories about lands where like we shouldn't have this dam, but we do now, but we can't get rid of it. We'll flood everything. But if but but the truth is we're starving out this whole part of the country because and the wildlife isn't living like so but we've forgotten about that because we've gotten used to the fact the dam's there and we're also getting the water power from the dam and this and that. The dam broke, and I think to your point, there might be some little side streams that don't get it so bad, and some towns are going to get flattened by this. It's awful. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be like the dam broke. And intentional, unintentional, there will become a new homeostasis. Like it will, the the initial blast will be over, and we'll be back to this place, and everybody's going to start to come back around and go, okay, how? Okay, I guess we're fishing here now. Okay, I guess we're doing this. So I feel like the same sort of thing has happened. And I don't want to take away from the magnitude. We can't change what's happened. I feel like this this dam has been building for a while that 
the powers that be have kind of kept things in place that you, you're supposed to be at your desk at two 30 and that's where you are. Cause that's how we run this thing. And it might not make sense, but the dam is up and this is how we're doing it. And this is how the world is. And now the dam broke. So what comes up for me are all these, these shifts that some are going to be painful. Some are going to be intentional. Some are just going to be because and I also don't, I was talking to somebody the other day. It's not all rosy. Like it's kind of like what's the, the who song that talks about down with the old boss in with the new boss or whatever. Like the old boss is kind of going to be gone but it won't be long before there'll be a new boss and then people are going to get greedy again and be playing in that new system. And like, I don't, I don't kid myself that we're not going to see the humans, but I am excited about, I think a balance is going to happen. That's been needing and wanting to be happening for a long time. We've had this technology forever. Right. And now, and I, I even fought it, but all of my connections and what I'm doing online, realizing, wow, I can go a lot further than I realized but I didn't allow myself. I was spoiled. I had the luxury of being in person. I was hopping on planes. I was flying around. So one of my colleagues the other day was talking about, and I agree with this, I think we're going to be, hopefully, and I believe we're going to be more intentional about where we gather and why we gather. doesn't mean we're not going to come together. I still want to go see my colleagues, but like, does it need to be a room full of desks or can I work at home and go in a couple days a week and sit in a very comfortable space where I can chit chat, but also work and socialize? Like, does it need to look the way it does? I'm thinking about all the retail that might shift. Like, Retail is going to change all the space that's out there for gathering that we've been using in weird ways that again, maybe retail needed to go through. Maybe we'll just see more online retail. And I also want to hold space for everybody's thinking about what we're losing. And I just, it's like, it's like that land that's been depleted. What will it gain? Like all of a sudden we can have new forests that pop up that we weren't having before. We can have a new rainforest that we didn't have before. What are we going to get? Like, and uh, this will be my final point. I think about companies, let's say, because I think there's going to be companies that have a great product, are bringing a great service to the world. Everything's fine, except they were completely rigid in their approach. And they might go disappear because they couldn't adapt fast enough. People couldn't bounce into like online. However, what I do believe is versus some other sorts of strategies we could face, the demand is still there. People still want that. So some 30-year-old is going to sit down and figure out a new model, run a new organization, hire all that great talent, and keep going because they can adapt for the, the rigidity that was in the last one. So this idea that it's gone doesn't mean it's gone forever. Just because one organization, which is a, a, not even real, it's an ideology about how we come together, disappears, those same people, the same talents still exist. If that demand still exists, we'll craft a new organization. This is where my hope comes in. And it'll allow the space to craft it in a new way that the resistance has been holding on to in a more self-organized way, leveraging technology, less like hierarchical, top down, tell us what to do. Now we're drifting into like the next level where I'm going. But my point is like, I'm just trying to hold space. <laughs> I'll light some yeah, sage. I'm trying to hold space for like, we're going to lose stuff, <laughs> but take a minute. Don't remember, don't forget. We're also going to gain stuff. And the final piece is I've been hearing people talk about versus other sorts of um, economic hits. Like if this was a war, if this was um, like even in 2008, there's so much, it's so uncertain. You don't know what's going on. It's just a weird thing that happens. A lot of people are saying, unless this, unless this goes too long, this, there, this is situational. Like this virus will pass and everybody's ready to pop back into action. Mm -hmm. So like this is a little different in that way that there will be an initial bounce back. And then the question is how high and how far do we go? But I do think it's different as long as we can hold, hold the foundation in place. Hey, everyone. It's Matt here. I hope you're enjoying the show. Before we continue, I wanted to give a quick shout out to one of our sponsors, Benji. The future of work is today. And Matt Parsons and the team at Benji have figured out a really cool hands-on learning solution that you need to be considering as you transition your organizational learning and team building and engagement online. 
Now I spend several hours a day myself on video platforms. So whether it's Zoom or Skype or go to meeting, they're great. They allow me to interact with people and see them in all parts of the world. Though if you're like me, once those calls go on a bit too long, I start to get a little bit distracted. And it's not too long before I'm reaching for my smartphone or opening up another tab on my laptop. That doesn't happen with Benji. They have a catalog of interactive team exercises that makes it really easy for organizations and individual consultants to develop engaging solutions at any scale. And some of the activities are as far ranging as brainstorming exercises and icebreakers and role plays and guided discussions. Learners have a, they share a common screen and they join the sessions themselves with their smartphone, which is their personal controller. That's right. All you need is a smartphone and internet connection, and you can have learners from around the world participate in any number of events that you can structure for them. In fact, we're already using an Avento HR. So we've piloted the technology ourselves for our own kind of online social events. So as we go through this pandemic, we're really taking the opportunity to reconnect as a team and to develop stronger bonds and cohesions as a group virtually. And this tool has been instrumental in helping us develop those, those bonds and create activities that just that go a step beyond the, the, the standard conversations. Additionally, we've started to use it for free workshops for our community. So as we attempt to democratize knowledge and connect the broader HR community to topics as far ranging as digital transformation or journey mapping the employee experience or predictive analytics, we're using the tool to create a more engaging learning experience so individuals can walk away from the uh, sessions, not only entertained, but retaining the knowledge, which ultimately is one of the key objectives that I have anytime we, we ask to borrow somebody's time. And I'll be honest, I, I've been so impressed with the tool myself that we're actually looking at using Benji to power our virtual workshops with client-facing products. So I'm actually working right now with Matt one-on-one to develop a journey mapping exercise so we can take clients through the employee experience and illuminate thousands of dollars and hours of inefficiencies that organizations tend to have in their onboarding and hiring processes. And we're using Benji to take people through the exercise to illuminate those opportunities. And then we pair those opportunities with our skill sets that we have at Bento HR and everybody wins. They have a more enjoyable experience. It's easier to socialize. We can engage multiple stakeholders and ultimately get to a result or an ROI much faster. And that's, and that's because of Benji. It's a great tool. And Because you are a listener of the Thinking Inside the Box podcast, you're going to get a special benefit as well. I've talked to Matt. He wants to give as many people as possible access to this tool so they can make online learning more engaging. And you can do so as well by using the discount code BENTO20. So if you log on to the Benji website, which is mybenji.com, and you're as impressed with the solution as I am, then enter the code in BENJI20 and you'll receive 20% off your purchase. That's an incredible value. The tool is already very lean and very cost-effective anyway, but when you layer in that extra 20%, it goes a long way with being able to justify the ROI inside the organization. So I encourage you to check it out. MyBenji.com, I'll link it in the show note uh, of this episode, along with the discount code BENTO20 for your 20% discount. And with that being said, we'll return back to regular programming. There's so much richness in that. And thank you. I, I'm optimistic that then the cumulative net will be greater 
on the other side of this. Like, I think that some of the old ways inhibited growth and inhibited collaboration and inhibited inclusion, which we have been proven time and time again in countless studies that when you connect people together around purpose and you democratize access to information, and now that you democratize access to an economy, a tide rises all all boats. So there will be interesting things that come out of this and spring out of the ground. And there will be a redistribution of influence and wealth and resources. And some people will have a built-in advantage as they always have. I know you're a data scientist and I want to geek out on that with you in a minute, because that's the, for you, this must be people, people scientists, not a data scientist. I want to be careful. <laughs> people scientists. I'm really not, I'm not, we can talk about that in a minute. You know, look, I've been given these titles in my life, but my, I, I see myself as a practitioner, as a human, more than, more than like nose in the data all the time. You, ha- you have, a, and I do too. And, and you're, one of the things we've, that originally connected us was the fact that you have a strong bias for action. It, it's, it's also anchored in a, a deep understanding of what you're working with as well. So I just want to pay, you know, I just want to honor that uh, in terms of the conversation. I think for... For me, the interesting piece around the go forward is how communities start to take shape. This is something I like to talk about. I know that's why. That's, I mean, you're, you're like this is this is your thing. How do you? How do you? Like, I, I believe my contention is we're moving towards. I think you're right. I think we're going to be more intentional about when we connect together in person. But the demand and the and the desire and the intrinsic like drive to want to connect isn't going away it's going to migrate into a, into more of a, of a digital or a virtual or some sort of format. So I think you're going to see, you know, this is like a windfall for augmented reality, virtual reality, you know, anything that goes, takes things virtual is going to be, has, will be majorly accelerated through investment and through in, innovation. And that's just what the market is going to go. Cause we're the, the, the days of us getting into like Woodstock with tens of thousands of people in a small space, it's just probably going to be looked back at as too much risk for those kind of large music festivals, but you can appropriate that experience using technology in some way. And we've seen the migration of this already in things like professional sports, movies, you know, you know, think about your your local movie theater, Uh, think about, you know, musical performances. You're starting to see more of a migration of entertainment into the home. I think you're going to see more of that way. I also think you're going to see the migration of community into the home, if that makes sense. So it's how do you, create community when we're all in different areas. That's a really interesting piece for me for a bunch of different reasons. And yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about how to best show up for people to help to be of greatest service in a bunch of different contexts. And yes, there's a business context to all of this. And I, I want, I want to do that. And I think there's a huge opportunity to help people more personally through the journey as well. Especially, you know, as you know, Craig, I spend a lot of time talking to HR leaders like you do, and a lot of time talking to business leaders like you do. And of course, there's an element of, of commerciality to that, but there's also a huge component of empathy to that. And there's an understanding that by speaking to them, the impact that I can have scales. So I try to talk mostly to CHROs, not because I don't want to talk to other people, but because I know that if I can influence a CHRO, I can impact thousands of people. So for example, two weeks ago, when this all was kind of breaking up, I was on the phone almost every single day with companies in Latin America before they had quarantined because they, at this point, were suggesting that it was a North American problem or a European problem or a Chinese problem. And they really hadn't come to the realization that it was going to spread. So they were insisting upon their workforces to come in. 
and people were coughing and people were sneezing and they thought it was seasonal allergies and they thought it was the common cold. And it was just interesting to kind of see, cause I, again, I'd been thinking about this for four weeks to see this, the spread from China into Western Europe then into the United States and to see this kind of movement. And I, I'm not a epidemiologist, I'm not a virologist, I, but I have a sense of how fast things like this can move through the population. And I know enough to know that I don't know enough. So I talk to people that actually do know enough and they say, it's going to do this. And I go, okay, if this is the, if these are the, the scenarios, there's no scenario whereby this doesn't go to Latin America, guys, you should shut down your offices. So to me, that was a better use of my time than having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. But there was also a place later that day for a one-on-one -on -one conversation because it's trying to find that balance of, and this is, again, I don't want to take this in another direction, but I, I've also, from a personal perspective, been using this time to find the right balance between work and life. Because now it got super easy, given our isolation, to look at your day in 24-hour segments. I, know, I feel like my week, my week is just like, it's like, it's like one long day, but I mean, I've got kids and like, but it's just crazy, you know? Totally. But you're allocated, but you're, and here's one last point I'm going to make, and I, and I, and I apologize, I just dumped this all on you. I've had a lot of time to think, Craig, as you can tell, coming out of all of this, if I could put an intention out into the space, a term that I've been using a lot and that I'll continue to use a lot, which I think will come to be associated with me, will be organizational economics. And we've, you and I have talked, and we have talked and the profession has talked about the talent economy. And I'm very familiar with that concept. What I'm speaking about is far, much far reaching than that. It's the umbrella and it's the intersection with the organization with the broader economy. And it's the intersection of the economy within the broader organization of which the talent economy forms a component of it. And if we're going to be in service to people going forward, the best thing that I can do given my experiences and my skill set and my platform and the tools and the resources and the reach and the network that I have is to make that concept as simple and as applicable as possible for as many HR leaders as I can because the sooner they can view their organization in an economic context, the sooner it becomes easy to make the business case for engagement, for technology, for culture, for diversity and inclusion. They all have business cases. As soon as they can see their business in an economic context, what do you mean? Because I mean, I imagine they're seeing their business in an economic context today. What, what do you mean? No, I don't think they are. I don't think they're looking at it broadly enough. I think they're looking at it as I- Please Say more, I'm just trying to dig into that. I think they're looking at it as a budget. Oh, I think they're looking at it from a scarcity mindset. Yes. I think they're given a budget and they spend their budget. Yes. I think that they don't believe that they have the ability to view outside that, that bucket. And I'm suggesting that there are much bigger things at play. This is a reset for everybody. Yes. Yes. If I'm a CHRO right now, I don't have a budget anymore. I just have a series of business cases that I'm bringing forward to a board of directors and we're making decisions on a day by day basis. That's what I would be doing as a CHRO. And, and, and we're at the meta level, we're looking at like, how do people really work? Like you said before, Correct. like my budget, get people, get people in those seats, my budget that, versus like, yeah, like how do, they're like probably being pushed. You know, the other day, Matt, I like, I did this post. I was about to, for so long, every once in a while, I throw hashtag future of work <laughs> and I was putting it on. I was right in the beginning of this. And I was like, I can't use this anymore. This is lame. Like this was a, this was this thing we sat around and like, idealized out into the future. We called it the future. We put it out there. We were sitting around to plan. And then in one fell swoop, like fell swoop. I was like, this doesn't work. And my mouth, everyone's, I use the now of work now. There's no, this is the future of work. So my, I think that it's what you're talking about before it was sitting around with your budget, talking about what it would be. Now it's like the full economy of it all. Like, what is it? How do people like, let's it's, it's action time now. 
and it's not future of work. It's it's here, and it's what we're doing right now. So, okay, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take over for a second because I've been making all these notes as you're talking. One 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 point one point. I mean, we we can, we just do this all day. But one point, shout out to our friend Rocky. Shout out to our friend Rocky Ozaki for having the company called the Now of Work. I mean, he's been saying this for I think two years. Oh, is that Rocky? That's funny. I didn't like, connect the dots. He's a he prognosticator now. So I'm gonna have to send him a little uh, shout out here for being ahead of the curve here. But yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. The future of work is. Like I'm, I'm, we're now focused on the now of work. Everybody has now, the lens has just narrowed. It's no longer conceptual. It is now practical and applicable. There it is. All the more reason why it's important for me to help CHROs and HR leaders understand the organizational economics and how they're shifting coming out of this because this affects everything from organizational design. It affects the structure of your business and how you manage work. It affects the infrastructure. It affects the, the allocation of resources in the organization. Everything. It affects everything in the organization from top to bottom. It changes the business model. And if you don't have an understanding of organizational economics, then what's going to happen is six months from now, you're going to need to hand in a budget. And you may not like what's on the budget and the budget may not do the things that actually make sense for the organization. Yeah. So empower yourself with the information that you need to be able to have that conversation and our job. So what we've tasked ourselves with is to do that. And so you'll see more from me with that lens going forward. And it's going to be in the spirit of getting so much value away and democratizing so much access to it that people have an opportunity to use this reset to make their workforces better because we can do it and we can make them more business sound at the same time. We can use this opportunity to reset to make healthier businesses that are better for humans, or we can piss it away. I prefer to do the former or more now than ever. I used to say this before, but more than ever, like that, that the way you put it is more of a choice. I agree with that. And before I thought those was the case, but now like, or you can choose not to adapt, you'll die and the next company will come along and do it better. And that's how the shift will happen. Like there's also that evolutionary process that can happen as well. And those jobs will be scary, but those jobs will just move to the next company that does it differently and better. Okay. So a couple, I'm going to rewind a couple things come up. One is I'm going to do, I'm going to do a quick call out. We don't have to go down this path, but when you were talking about how we come together and entertainment, you said Woodstock. And I thought to myself, just a, a shout out real quickly to the environment like that's another thing that I think our climate, we're going to start to think about that as well. Like how were we treating everything? How we're hopping on planes and flying around and we can just go wherever, whenever without an, a thought about the impact on that and the environment. So I think that that's going to come out of this, not a hundred percent, but like when you see the videos of the dolphins swimming up this, the canals of Venice for the first time, people I've talked to, people, they keep saying like, I'm out for a walk. I notice more nature. Now that might be because they're like isolated, <laughs> but I, I do think the earth is breathing again. Like think about the humans just settling down for a minute and what that does to the earth. And I think that we'll come out of this probably a little more intentional, both from the, the good heart, you know, in our, in our, in our, you know, some of us just from our conscious, but also as an organization keep flying. Are we going to still like go back to normal and just put everybody on planes flying everywhere all the time? Or are we going to be like, wait a second, is that a cost that we need to incur? Why are we meeting? Like I said before, and being intentional and think how much of a company is going to look and go, wait, we spent, like we could slash $2 million, but just not everybody can't hop on a plane whenever they want. Like, so there's like, again, that's, that's a cost. That's not going to cost anybody. It's just gonna be us rethinking how we are in the world. Now the airlines, we're gonna have to, they'll have to adapt. So I just wanted a quick shout out for the, for the environment. Let's see here. You my said, West, you talk, West, I, live in, I live in Vancouver, Craig. I mean, you speak environment, you're speaking my language. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're, yeah you're, you're all down with it. Um, <laughs> let's see a couple things. I want, I'm, I'm driving towards community cause I want to talk about that, but I have a couple notes here. One is, I don't know about you, but I noticed 
like social, like my social channels, things I can do, like it's getting bigger. So my point was, you talked about this idea of amplifying and, you know, or I, I, I wrote social impact to amplify, but your work and bringing voices forward, like people, I, I do feel like the work you and I have done on social to create a little bit of a, a you know, platform now is bigger than ever. And um, these channels can be used in good ways to, to amplify the right voices. So I think that's, that's really um, powerful. Uh, I've already, I mean, my mind just snapped into it. I think it was kind of a natural progression. Number one, I just noticed right away that like my posts were getting more like, I just noticed I could tell like the engagement also me cause I'm in the community, like wanting to reach out through that channel right away to connect. And then that, that went big. I, um, I've been dragging my feet on LinkedIn live. So I, I submitted to LinkedIn to get approved to do LinkedIn live like four months ago. I got approved. I was excited. And then I realized oh, I have to do a third-party software and I have to do this and that. And I just kind of was like, I was crazy busy because I'm flying around everywhere. Just couldn't. I was dragging my feet on it. What's the impact? And then this happened. I was like, that's it. Boom. Like, I'm getting the software. I'm doing it. We went, to, we did LinkedIn Live yesterday for the first time. And I, you know, I think more people are going to come to the party too. And we realized that in social, it's, it's the more people will come and I can help them build their communities, but they'll help me build my community. So I think that it's just in general, I've just been leaning into it more. I'm back to, to Twitter a little bit. I've always been back and forth on Twitter. Um, I also use Anchor. Like again, this happened before, but like podcast has gotten so easy. So I, I set up an Anchor account. Now I'm recording calls like this. I'm having these great calls that before I would just let go. Now I'm recording them and, and popping them out and putting them on to, 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 to create a podcast. So just relooking at it all and trying to show other people how to like use these tools. I mean, I've caused, I've caused some waves in my organization a little bit, like both positive and negative, but that just means that they're seeing it. They're like, Ooh, what, what? So I think that social and how we use those tools, this reach, this platform, these amplifiers, the microphones that we have, we can use them even bigger because everybody's sitting around. But let's, I want to talk about community and I made two notes because that's yes. what, um, that's where I've been focusing my time. So just a quick background and then we can go in the conversation at Culture Amp. We've always had a bit of community. We've, it's been, it's been in our DNA bringing people together, but we haven't been as organized with community. You know, it's just been a piece of who we are. And last year we thought to ourselves, how do we organize better? So we went through a few things. Um, one is to bring all of our community assets and we created a community team, we launched culturefirst.com. So cultureamp.com is product. Culturefirst is all things community. It's a hub. And we also, instead of us only running event, we launched a program to start chapters. So we started launching chapters where regional players could do their own, run their own events with our support. And we have a whole infrastructure around that. I jumped in to help run the chat, to, to launch and build the chapters. So what's cool is we've been at it for a long time. We even got at it last year to get more organized and that's really paying off. And we can talk about that because with the foundation was there. So when this happened, we were able to jump into place. I'm really grateful because I don't know that building a community from scratch right now is people are, people are looking for probably organized communities versus like, let's just start one. But I wanted to say the two things, and then we can dig into the, the details that came up when you were talking about, came up for me, the power of community and why it can support us right now. One is just simply the human connection that communities provide us a way to connect and that as much as I didn't want to do it online, I was all about in person and I will go back to that. I'm really growing an appreciation of what is possible virtually and how much connection we can if it's done intentionally and, and facilitated well. So one is just the simple support to the human, like just connecting with others, especially in time of isolation. The other is, which goes into, I think, what we're going to see a shift in our workplace, which is unlocking this collective intelligence. And what I mean about that is that I think in all of this, what I'm witnessing more than ever, and I see it how we look at the federal government, I see it how we look at our organizations, we have been in this top-down command and control hierarchical structures for so long, 
And there's all this talk in the future of work, the old future of work about new ways of thinking and organizing. So the energy has been out there, but we've, we've been holding on. And I think we've been conditioned to like, look, tell us what to do. Look up. Like, what, what's the leader say? In a, in a time and space where we have all this technology, so much knowledge, so much collective intelligence, and in some sub pockets, we've seen how quickly groups of people can come together, solve problems, and move on, which to me is more like the, this future I'd like to see in the workplace of more the fluid, the circles, the like holo- holocratic sort. I'm not, it's not about holacracy, but that <laughs> these, these more self-led styles, which I personally, I have a lot of faith in. I think it's that we've been conditioned to believe that we don't have that kind of power versus models that empower the individual, believing that collectively we can solve things better than any one body or one person can do for us. Where I'm going with that is I'd, I'd like to believe that, that we're going to learn that a bit in this situation. So when we come back together, we might not, we're going to reject kind of this idea of like, what's this hierarchical structure again? Why do we need that exactly? And I, I'm tying this into community because I think that's where community can support us too. When you're talking about solving it and you said that you're trying to bring the information and, and data to the leaders, they need that. But also, um, we need to bring them to, together because collectively, that's, that's the juice, the information, the education, and then the shared experiences where we can up each other, ramp each other up really quickly, and that can happen in communities. So as these HR leaders, let's say, are trying to weave the way through it, if they're, both, if they're getting great information, but they're all getting different information, but they're coming together and sharing best practices, what they're doing, what's worked, the, the speed goes up. So I think that that's what we're going to see, those two big things in community connection and this like group uh, we evolve faster together than we do isolated. I'd add, I'd add sure. one more. We got to teach them. We got to teach them. We got to teach them. We, gotta, we have to help them. So I think I completely agree with what you're saying. We have to get them the information that they need. We have to, we have to illuminate the important information, the salient information, the practical information, especially now where the sense of urgency is a bit higher and it will be for a period of time. And we absolutely need to bring them together because there's much to be learned. Uh, and you and I are similar in that we've had the privilege of, of traveling globally and speaking to people in different communities and industries and jurisdictions and of different business cycles. And there's much to be learned when you bring people together from different walks of life. And there is no one right way. And there's the, the bigger your toolbox and the more agile you are, the more you'll be able to thrive in certain situations. So I think that's critical to have that through sharing. Um, I also think there's something really authentic about peer-to-peer and community-based learning where it's safer. It is more predicated on a deeper connection. And to your point, traditional te- you know, the traditional model of connection has been that teaching, that lecture, that, you know, that hierarchical model. I will sit here and talk to you for three hours. You will take notes and you will learn what I think is important for you to learn. That's changing, right? So the community piece of that helps kind of erode that hierarchical structure from that perspective. The teaching piece where I think the, the void is filled in is that people like you and I, we, create, we have to create forums for people to have those experiences, So we do a good job of bringing people together. We create the conditions for those things to thrive. And I think we have an obligation and a responsibility to do that. So we bring the people together to have those conversations, to have those community-based learning opportunities. I've been a CHRO. It can be really lonely. Yeah, I bet. It is tough because it is often a thankless job. It's a job where you're meant to be not seen, not heard, be incredibly effective, hold a bunch of tensions that 
are really not fair for a role that is disproportionately incented and compensated and valued in most organizations. If you're doing well, you're doing your job. If things go to shit, you're, you're like, there's no like, it's like if you're killing it, you're just doing your job. But if you're not, then yeah, yeah, yeah. You, all the all the eyes are on you. Like a lot of executive roles, it is predicated on, on the, the level. It's in predicated on what your CEO thinks of the function. And I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that most CHROs do not enjoy a privileged position when compared to their CFOs or CMOs or CIOs in most companies. They're generally viewed in a more of a supportive function. Not always. I know many great ones. We know many great ones like Claude Silver at VaynerMedia. Like that, her relationship with Gary is unique and special, and that's why that company has success. But there are other companies that do not view things that way. So I think that creating the conditions for those people to connect with each other and learn from each other is important. And I think there's a level of, I call it almost hand to hand combat in that workshops, helping people have experiential learning opportunities, illuminating through technology. I'll give you an example. One thing we're going to be jumping into the market with uh, Craig is we're going to operationalize dashboards. We're going to make dashboards to we're going to make dashboards democratized. We're going to help organizations develop analytics strategies and predictive analytics strategies, dashboard them and offer it for five figures. I love it. Every company in the world has the ability to aggregate data and avoid risk. And it will cost you five figures to do that. And the bigger the company, the bigger the ROI. We can do it today. We've just chosen not to. We've, achieved, we've chosen, to your earlier point, to ride this line between risk and reward and bleed the reward side so hard, but we've assumed so much extra risk. We've had the technology for years. We've had the ability to work and remotely. Also, well, and also sca- scarcity mindset too. Totally. I keep, this keeps coming up for me. But like the old model was, if I have it, you don't. I win, you don't. Keep it. And I think, well, I think we'll also, and hoping through this connection and what we're seeing, I talk is that is that we're going to start to see win, the wins. Look, I, it's inevitable anyways. Like, look how my kids go to school, how they're working, how they go online, how they find things. Like, this is coming one way or another. They don't work the way we worked anyways. Like, my, my kids don't sit with a teacher talking at them. They move around. They have stations and zones. And So, my point was this. It was coming, but it's here. And I just think it's going to drive the value of collective. We're better collect. We've been told that it's it, it kind of ties into masculine stories about like when it all of those costs and the expenses. And like, I think we're going to move into more of a collective ideology. I mean, look at like the movement of Bernie Sanders, like him or not, like what, like look at that energy. How many people are behind him? He's talking, you know, like it's there. People see, they want to be more collective and it's fighting. It's going against the old system, which look, man, it supported a lot of people and with all, that amassed a lot of money and power and they were not going to let it go. I mean, I'll give you an example that comes up for me, Matt. I've been thinking about the 2008 and you and I remember that, yep. you know, we thought if those bailouts wouldn't happen, the world was going to come to an end and oh my God, we'd all sink into the great depression and starve to death. And at least that's how it felt. And it's funny in retrospect, that compared to today is, is microscopic, you know, or it's just pales in comparison. Yet what we did was we had the ability to jump in and, and like patch it up, fix it. Like almost like the energy, the, the machine has been pushing. Like it's like, it's the dam. Like, it, the dam wanted to break them, but we wouldn't let it go. And we had, and the systems and power in place just kept patching it up, patching it up, patching it up. Like it was really kind of kicking the can down the road until like, look, if you think about it, it's a virus. It's a small, it's bringing us to our knees, partly because it's not just it, it's the rigidity that it's hitting. 
that I would like, so when you were saying about this, like what's next, I think what will happen is we will just become a bit more fluid. So something like this may happen again, it won't look this way next time because we're going to reform to be more agile in the face of something like this. We just weren't. And we've had the luxury to kind of, like I said, kick the can down the road. And we had a lot of wealth, especially in, in you know, the Western world to throw money at problems and not say, why is this breaking right now? Like, was that the time for our financial systems to rethink themselves? Probably, but we didn't because we were able to bail them out. Yeah. That we have to hit a place where we can't bail ourselves out. Like we have to sit in our houses for two months to rethink about how we work and there's no way out of it that, that when it's all over, we just naturally will have new outlooks on things because we had to sit with it long enough and we don't have the luxury to buy our way out of sitting with it. And because we collectively, and it's not, it's not fair and it's not equal, but collectively we will bear a significant burden from this period of time. Collectively, we should have some say in the design of the future. And to that, I'd say to any person listening to this, yes, but you got to step up. You got to find the courage and you got to find your voice because if you don't, the the machine will come back in and, and have a voice for you. So when you say that, I'm so excited and I believe in that, but we need to show people how to collectively show up and believe that their voice matters and they have, and they can be part and that if you choose to say nothing, that's your part in the whole. If you choose to step up, that's your part in the whole. Well, I think the first thing is, and you go back and I think there's kind of three layers to this and I want to be sensitive to your time as, as well, Craig. So I think we'll, we'll wrap on, on this note, but I'd love your thoughts. I have a math class. I have a, I have a math class to teach at 11, Matt. That's outstanding. I'll be <laughs> second grade, uh, second grade math. That's what I'm doing now. Amazing. I'll be, I'll be brief, but I want to say this. I think you're, you're absolutely 100%. I love your call to action. I love your challenge. People need to look after themselves first. Use this as an opportunity to practice some self-care to make yourself better in this experience in whatever shape that should look like. Everyone I've talked to, I've given them that simple message. Just do something to come out of this with some greater understanding, some greater perspective, some greater value, some greater knowledge, and ask yourself as well as how can you be more of service to others in whatever shape that takes. Even if that means hopping on a Zoom call and just having an open office hours for anybody who wants to chat. What is your privilege? What do you have to give? Do you have an abundance of something right now? If you're if you're out of work, correct. Which is, um, you know, seek the help you need. But with that, what else do you do? You have an abundance of some time that you could offer somebody. Do you have? So to your point, and the other thing that you just said is what I think reminds me is the oxygen mask, like an airplane. Like you gotta put your mask on first. So you can help others. So it's okay. Take care of yourself. Get the oxygen you need. We need, you know, and other people out there that maybe have enough oxygen or supporting, get your oxygen so then you can help the people around you. And we're all going through this in our own way. Now is a really good time to reach out if you need to talk to somebody. And I, I can put myself on the line. I, I, I'll do it for you too, Craig, because I know you in, in very... You, either of us happy to have a conversation with anybody about any topic at any time are doing this together and we can be in service to the greater good. That's, this is the time to do that. You know, the, the piece I wanted to end with, which ties into all this, which is I love your analogy around scarcity mindset and masculine energy. We're going to have to rebook another chat just about that. Cause I think that's a whole different interesting conversation in the caveman caveman anthology, you know, kind of analogy. I leave the cave, you leave the cave. We go kill an animal. We bring it back to the family. And that's kind of the, this is that the kind of that paradigm that that mindset you talk to speaks to that. It just means that I want to go and kill as many animals as possible and bring as many back to my cave as I possibly can. And I, and I can determine if I'm going to give them away, but I'm bringing them, I'm getting them from me and I'm bringing them back and I'm taking more than I need. I'm just suggesting that people redeploy that instinct, which I still have. We've had this conversation. I have a lot of masculine energy insofar as 
I have ambition, I have drive, I have desire to have greater impact. Can you go out and, 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 and satisfy that paradigm and bring it back for the collective good? Because the rewards are greater for everyone when you do that. And there is no award for having as much as you can for yourself. I don't think that's, I don't think in today's world that it feels good to be Jeff Bezos. Being the richest man in the world right now, it must feel really bad to be him. Hmm. But power of privilege, what can he do? The burden of it. What can he do with all that? Well, how can he help? The burden of it, if he, if, based on how he sees it. And I just want to wrap because you're right. We can talk about this. But I see what you talked about, like, for instance, like this desire to go out, kill, bring back, feed. Like, like let's just hold it in a masculine energy space. Doesn't mean a woman. I said, this is energy. This is not about your your what genitalia you have. Not at all. Um, no. So... What I see, what I always see when I see that stuff is let's not make that's not a problem. It's that there's a shadow and a gold side to all of these. The gold side to that energy is I want to go protect and take care of my family, of my tribe, of what I'm that's doing in a good way. The shadow side is I want to get more and more than I need. I don't care about other people. I will destroy your tr- village while I get mine. Like, so that's the that's the almost the immature versus the developed side of it. Now what I just ask is people to like step into like the mature side of these things. There is time right now for that action, for energy. Like you might have to take your sword out metaphorically, so to speak, to protect yourself, protect your family. But that doesn't mean you have to walk around killing everybody with it. You need to hold it and you need to stand there and use it like, you know, like, like the honor of a samurai soldier, you know, like there's like honor in it and it's pulled out with reverence and respect. And I need to feed my family. That doesn't mean I need to make sure nobody else eats because I need to get as much as possible because I'm feeding into the fear of not having enough. So that's what I hold is just how can we honor these energies and use them in a good way? We've seen them throughout history. And we've also seen what it looks like when, when it when it goes overboard and used in a bad way, like with destruction in, and hurting others to get ours. Like I, this is like you said, it's a whole conversation, but do it in a good way. And, 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 <laughs> and scale your impact by making decisions that reinforce those behaviors in others. Yes. Because we haven't always done that. And I think that is an amazing place to put a pause on this conversation because we are going to come back to yeah. it. Craig, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, I wish you well in your grade two uh, class. I hope the students aren't too rough on you. It's been a great chatting again. Matt, you too, man. I, I really appreciate it. It's great to share our, these conversations are great when we have them to be able to share them with the world. And I appreciate you. Thank you for doing this. And I know there'll be more. Talk soon. EntoHR aligns strategy, technology, and data to simplify digital transformation and realize more human-centric organizations. Call it what you want, whether this is an inflection point, a reset, or an opportunity. We're in the midst of the largest forced digital transformation exercise in our existence. And COVID-19 has made a few things abundantly clear. Self-quarantining, what we used to call working from home, isn't going to disappear with the virus. Organizations now must be able to identify, onboard, and manage a remote workforce. A company's longevity is also going to increasingly be based on its people and the tools that it provides them to succeed. I'm a real strong believer that culture can sustain you through dark times, and I think we're getting a real good example of that now. And the last thing that has become clear to me is that organizations are sitting on a mountain of under-leveraged analytics. And we can help them by illuminating the so what and converting their analytics into actions, reducing their costs, their risks, and improving business performance. 
Before this, I was an HR executive. So I spent many years in the corporate HR world. And my experience is that we've underfunded workplace technology and the associated tools for years in most organizations, believing that we could get away with incremental improvements. But if this pandemic has taught us anything, uh, that reality, that illusion is now over. We need to make smart investments to become more agile for our organizations and our teams to become more agile, to become more adaptable, and honestly, to secure the longevity of the company and the organizations that we work for. And that's where companies like Bento HR can help. We are a specialized digital transformation consultancy, one of the few. We help organizations, their teams, their leaders navigate and accelerate digital transformation projects and initiatives. And we do it really well. My team includes HR consultants, software developers, project managers, data scientists. We have a breadth and depth of experience that most agencies and consultancies simply don't. And because of that, we work cross-functionally in every organization, most commonly with HR, IT, and finance. And we can help organizations architect and realize customized solutions. We don't put things in templates and cookie cutter boxes. We work with you to figure out what your problems are and ultimately how we can develop solutions to help you fix them. For most organizations though, it starts with a very basic virtual workshop. It's a really nice low cost trial run for working with us at Bento HR. You get to see how we work, whether we can deliver and the results of our efforts. And we're getting a ton of interest now, especially post COVID-19. And so I wanted to spend a couple of seconds just explaining one of our workshops in more detail. And it's the most common one that we get questions about. We've entitled it Converting Analytics into Action. And it's a title that I've used at, I don't know, 15 different global HR conferences as I've given keynotes around the world in places like Sao Paulo, Brazil, and Copenhagen, Denmark, and Zurich, Switzerland. And it's this idea of introducing the so what with your data. We know that most organizations are sitting on piles of it, whether it's from their ERPs or their CRMs or their HRIS systems or their LMSs or ATSs. You're sitting with technology that's producing data, but it's other than dashboard and being scorecarded in the best case scenarios may not be actually driving any awareness or actions. And so what we do is we help organizations think through that, think through their problem statements and how we can best connect them to solutions. We aggregate those disparate data streams and we house your data in a secured centralized dashboard that gives you full visibility to it. So we do all the legwork and all the behind the scenes work so that you essentially have a beautiful dashboard where we can align on the KPIs that you think are most relevant for your business right now, who needs to see them and when. And we're so confident in our approach that we actually deliver the virtual workshop in two parts. The first one is a half day to a full day session where we sit down, we problem solve, we co-design the solution, the action plans. And then the second part is we actually report out on your metrics for six months after the workshop. So you can see the fruits of your labor, the impact of our collaborations. And for clients who want to go one step further, we can actually, after about six months, start to introduce predictive analytics capabilities. So you actually can get ahead of risks and stop playing KPI whack-a-mole and instead try and find a way to mitigate your risks, decrease their disruption, decrease the cost to the organization, and ultimately increase business performance.
it's the place I would start. If I was an HR executive now and I'm looking at the place to start or reboot my digital transformation, it's analytics. We have the information now and we can help support you in an unintrusive way. We don't have to get in the way of your business partners. It's fast. We'll be able to deliver results for you in a matter of weeks. And as I mentioned earlier, it's really cost effective. I have put forward a ton of proposals to clients over the course of the last year. Not one has come back where we weren't able to self-fund, meaning we were able to recoup full costs of our efforts and deliver incremental value to the organization in a 12-month period. So incredible results and in large part because we have great clients we've been working with to help co-design really compelling solutions. With all that said, if you're interested in hearing more, I would encourage you to check out the podcast show notes. I've listed some of the details in those sections. And you can also find us at bentohr.com. We have a full listing of our virtual workshops and a ton of content that's coming in from a whole bunch of different streams, including this podcast. And I'd be happy to answer any questions people have if you want to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. Until then, I'm wishing you much health, happiness, and be safe.